Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. Hey, this is Lisa, and if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram at I Love That Movie Podcast, and we have a Patreon. Uh, the show is always free, but if you want to support us on there, you can. That's at patreon.com slash I Love That Movie. Um, and, you know, we do weekly bonus episodes on there. Right now we're covering Marvel What If, and I have guests every week covering that show. We've also done The Mandalorian, WandaVision, Loki. So we have a lot of fun on there. Uh, and I want to take a moment to thank my top patrons, and they are Chris Balga, Jeff Widman, Philip Barker, and Michael Cross. Thank you guys so much for keeping the lights on. And if you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. It does help new listeners find us. Well, I've got a familiar voice on the podcast. I've got Christopher Armim. Say hi, Christopher. Hello. Hey, um, you've been on the show a couple times, sometimes to talk about your movies and other times to discuss movies. But if people haven't heard that those episodes yet, do you want to introduce yourself real quick? Sure, sure. Well, uh, first and foremost, I am a filmmaker, an indie filmmaker. I make cheesy monster movies uh, like The Monster Phantom Lake or The Giant Spider. Uh, and uh, you and I just sort of met at a convention down there in DFW. And, you know, um, I love your podcast. I just want to say that. And everyone listening knows that they love your podcast, too. And I love the... <laughs> The uh, the I love the I love the the that movie part of it the uh, the love part of it the love part of it. Um, I've always said this, and I want to say it just publicly here that my favorite thing about your podcast is that it it's not about ripping apart other people's art, which as a as an independent artist myself, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, but I've just I you know movies is one of those things that really brings us all together and and. It's great to see people uh, and, and to have an outlet like this where we can just talk about the things that we love as opposed to trying to rip apart what's wrong with everything. And I hate that about our modern societies, that that's that's so prevalent. And so I, I love the fact that that your uh, your podcast is is all about the love. Now, to kind of segue into the movie that we're about to talk about. I want to remind my guests that if this is your first time listening, my guests actually pick the movie. So, you know, I get a lot of emails and and. And messages saying, when you cover this movie, um, I would like to talk about it. Well, the best part about that is you get to make that decision yourself. So, <laughs> Christopher, what what movie did you choose to talk about today? Uh, the Tom Hanks directed, written and directed, That Thing You Do. Yes. Um, I know that I've seen this. And I was telling you when I rewatched it that it felt brand new to me because I hadn't seen it in so long. But I know I've seen this before, probably when I was a kid. I'm going to say 
the fact that it's blurry for me, I'm going to say I was like 11 or something like that. I don't know. Not 11. Well, it, it couldn't have been because it came out in 1996. So I would have had to have been uh, probably 13 or 14 um, when I saw it. But I will say that watching older, it again. I, but I yeah. Won't, yeah. I mean, in 96, I was 20. Um, and actually, the funny thing about this movie, if I may. I may say really quick right off the bat. And part of the reason why I love it so much is there's actually a lot of reasons. Okay. Um, but 96, I'm 20 years old. Right. And at the time, um, uh, I had met my wife and we were just kind of hanging out. We weren't, we weren't dating. We were just hanging out. We'd just go see movies and stuff. Um, uh, which I guess sounds like dating, but it wasn't dating. If that makes sense. Yeah. Y'all were friends. We were friends and, and we definitely had crushes on each other, but our situations at the time didn't work out. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we were just, we were just friends and, 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 uh, we would just go see movies together because we loved the movies and we worked together. So we'd go see movies just to spend time. And there's a lot of, a lot of story there as to uh, the situation, but I just am not going to get into it because it has nothing to do with this movie, but we were hanging out a lot. And we went and saw, we used to do these things where she was the only person I knew who would, who would go do movie marathons with me. Right. Oh, that's uh, awesome. We would just, I was, I, I love the movies. I love going to the movies. I miss going to the movies. Um, and so, uh, I, one day we worked together. I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to totally go do a movie marathon. I want to go do a movie marathon this weekend. Um, and just like see like five movies in a day. And none of my friends wanted to do that. They're just like, that is too many movies. And I was like, there is no such thing. Uh, and I, I mentioned that to her and she's like, you know what? I don't actually have anything going on on Saturday. I'm in. And I'm like, are you serious? And it was one of those, we're doing this kind of thing. You know, I was like, because I'd never really done like five movies in a day where you literally, you see a movie, you go out, you buy a ticket for whatever's next. You go see another movie. Right. Mm-hmm. So we did. And we ended up seeing five movies that day. And I'll be honest of all the ones we saw that thing you do is the only one I remember from that day. That's a good story. I love that. <laughs> so it stuck out as just like, uh, I don't know. I mean, after seeing that many movies, you get a little numb to it. It's like binge watching mm-hmm. a show, you know, yeah. you start sort of the details in the middle movies get a little squishy, but that was like probably the third movie we saw before we went and grabbed some like McDonald's or something, uh, just before we hit like the seven and the, you know, nine thirty. Um, so we saw that. And I remember we just left the theater and was like, that was amazing. That was so good. And we just talked about it the whole time as we, I think we ate like McDonald's. Um, and so that one really stuck out. Now, later when we actually did start dating and then eventually got married and, you know, had kids and have now been married for 20 years. Um, it, it became our movie. So oh, that, because so that nice. one stuck out as, as just like, we love that movie. And I think maybe that was probably one of those moments where it was like, we like each other, you know? What I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that was a good test. Movie. Can you sit yeah. through five movies with me? <laughs> and we did. It was, it was great. I think by the last one, um, I might've, I might've fallen asleep cause it was really boring and, and <laughs> just, just kind of done, but, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't remember which one it was. Um, but yeah, that thing you do really stuck out as, as a great movie. And, and, and my wife, uh, really loves Tom Hanks. So she was really excited cause she just loved Tom Hanks movies. And so yeah, she was like, ah, and that's the thing is like that day we were, 
it wasn't like uh, either of us were like, well, no, we're not going to see this one thing or I don't want to see this kind. We were just we saw, I think, like a horror movie that day. I think we saw, you know, like a sci fi movie. We saw that thing you do. I think, um, you know, we saw like a historical epic or something. It was like we just whatever was there, we were going to see it. It was a theater with eight, the eight screens and we saw five of the 10 movies. <laughs> that's awesome. And so that stuck out. So again, that has become our movie. So I end up watching this movie at least once a year. I know it backwards and forwards. That's I even reference great. it randomly throughout my movies, um, in small ways, uh, just because it is, um, a movie, but beyond it being sort of, you know, a special movie in, in my marriage. Um, it's an absolute movie that I love. It's an absolutely great movie that I absolutely love. It really is. And and on that note, I'm going to read the synopsis really quick. Now, if you haven't seen this movie before, I do recommend that you pause here, go watch the movie and come back because I don't do like a spoiler wall or anything like that. We're just going to chat about it. Um, not that there's big spoilers to this movie, but, you yeah. know, I would recommend seeing it first. So if you're still with us, this is the synopsis of That Thing You Do. So That Thing You Do is a 1996 American comedy film. This is written and directed by Tom Hanks, as Christopher mentioned. And this is his directorial debut. Um, it tells the story of the rise and the fall of a 1960s one-hit wonder pop band. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> like, it's about their rise and fall. Um, but I think it's... Oh, we'll touch on it. I really, really like this film a lot. Uh, I like some of the lessons that it that it has within it. Um but yeah, essentially, it's about a one-hit wonder following the yeah. rise and fall of, of a band. Um, I had a couple of quick facts uh, that I wanted to share. This is the film debut of Tom Everett Scott. And Tom Hanks was initially opposed to hiring Scott because he looks so much like a younger Hanks. Yep. <laughs> uh, he was finally convinced by his wife, Rita Wilson, who thought Scott was cute. <laughs> <laughs> I did kind of get the feeling, okay... This may be a weird statement to say, but when I watch this movie, I kind of feel like I'm watching a bunch of Tom Hanks. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just feel that he wove elements of his personality so much into the main characters and their dialogue that it's like, and I mean, they're all like white dudes that are kind of lanky for the most part. Right. Um, so they kind of, um, I don't Plus, know. It's like his just, entire like families in it too. Yeah. In, and, in and small and roles here and there. Evoke different like different roles Tom Hanks has played in other movies almost, but I mean this in the best way. It, it was really good. It's Tom Hanks, the movie. Yes. Uh, apparently he also claims that he wrote the script uh, while on the promotional tour for Forrest Gump uh, because uh, his boredom during nonstop interviews, which I can't imagine doing that. Like whenever I see, you know, there's always a couple interviews on YouTube and stuff of actors either being like, kind of like jerks in interviews or giving mm -hmm. like the interviewer a hard time. And I always feel really bad for the, the journalist. Um, I'm not a journalist, but I have interviewed people and I'm like, that's a tough job when the person seems disinterested. But I understand like when you're answering the same, like 10 questions every hour for like months, I'm sure it's terrible. So well, yeah, I can and imagine I think... that being draining and wanting to do something else with your free time. <laughs> and I can, and I can totally, I can totally uh, understand that to a certain extent as a guy who makes movies and has gone out and I do a lot of conventions and a lot of events and, you know, it's always kind of the same sales pitch, right. And, and you're traveling and you're promoting things, uh, you know, that, 
you know, when you get to the point where you're promoting a movie, like you've probably as an actor been done with it for like six months to a year. Right. (laughs) Right. So you got to, and you always end up having to tell the same stories over and over again to the same ones and always have to act as excited that someone asks, asked a question that you've been asked 400 times different, you know, different ways. Uh, and you're, like I said, you're traveling, you're tired, you're worn out. And sometimes, you know, it probably gets to be too much for some people or you get stupid questions and you're just like, I'm just not in the mood for this crap right now anymore. You know, <laughs> I kind of love those though, where they, they come right out and say, please stop asking me those questions. Yeah. 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 So, I, I, mean, totally I, I mean, I get it, but I totally, I, I totally understand what you're saying is like, and two, even as a guy who's done a lot of conventions and traveling and stuff, there's always downtime too, where it's just like, well, I could watch TV, I suppose, or hmm, maybe I have yeah, an idea for a thing. I mean, I know home you don't yeah. have your stuff, your streaming services. Yeah, it's a little different. Um, I mean, I what's funny too is like too. I read a lot of books. Yeah, I did. I did uh, uh, the the movie I actually just released this year, "The Family Kids and the Beast Walks Among Us." Had to get in my plug. Um, I actually started writing while I was traveling, doing conventions down in the DFW area. Uh, I was down there doing um, uh, all con in 2018 or 2019 i think uh it was 2019 uh that's when we filmed it and and i was talking about this idea i had with our our late great friend Monaco cross uh and he and i were sort of bouncing ideas back off uh, off of each other about you know this idea it had and I, i couldn't quite crack something and he said something specifically that like cracked it open right it was like that's the angle i've been missing and as soon as he said that, like the doors open and all the ideas flooded in for what I needed to do. <laughs> so like that night when I was just back in my hotel room, I started writing the script on my phone. Cause it was just like the floodgates open and I had to get it. And I saw so it. So I get it. You know, it's just that yeah. something hits you and I got this downtime and I know it's like, this is it. This is, this is when I start doing it. And you start you know, the, the begin, like by the time I got home, I had, I think 15 pages that I showed my kids. Cause they're all the characters in the movie. Oh, yeah. They were like, this is amazing. Let's keep going. <laughs> and so Yay. from there, it just, it just snowballed. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's something to being in a different location and, and having that downtime, like you said. Um, I also read that the four actors playing the wonders rehearsed as a band for eight weeks to get the feel of performing, but Ultimately, most of their performances in the film were dubbed by other musicians. Right, which is understandable. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if you've, I mean, they didn't write the song. And sadly, uh, the guy who did died of COVID very early on. Are Uh, you serious? I did not realize that. Yeah, it was, uh, um, God, I'm blanking on the guy's name. Um, But he was uh, from the band Fountains of Wayne. Oh, wow. He he wrote, uh, wrote and sings and performs the uh, the big hit song in the movie that thing you do uh, and he was one of the first celebrities to die of it like wow, very early terrible. on during the pan- pandemic like in may or june or something like that of 2020 wow. Wow. <clears throat> that's tragic um <laughs> i i was wondering I about that back to this horribleness right well i mean it's happening uh. um but uh, I think that that song was even nominated for an Oscar, right? Yeah, best yep. original song by Adam Schlesinger. There it is, yeah, Adam yeah. Schlesinger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
definitely nominated. I don't I don't know that it won, but it was nominated for the best won. song. Yeah. Uh, but it, it is a super catchy song and it sounds well, like you know, early Beatles. Be, right. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. it had to be the right amount of catchy without being annoying. Because you hear it like deep. eight times in the movie. <laughs> Very right? true. I hadn't thought about that. So it has to be of that era. It has to just have that feel of of the early sixties, you know, kind of pre, you know, as the, the, the British invasion is happening, uh, you gotta, you, it has to have that catchiness. Uh, but again, it can't be annoying. It has to be something right. that you could find yourself singing and not being like, Oh, I hate that song so much. <laughs> That's a very good point. I never even and thought about how many times and, you hear it in the movie. Yeah. And it's eight times. And honestly, and, and I should say is, is one of my favorite things about that movie, having seen it so many times too, uh, one of the things that grabbed me is that uh, the movie is ultimately about um, sort of making art and celebrating sort of being a nobody as an artist, right? Yeah. Because these are guys, these guys just, I mean, the main character, uh, Guy, the drummer, ends up in the band by accident because the the Wonders, the band, their drummer breaks his arm uh, <laughs> on the eve of, of them doing this talent show at this college. And so they find this this guy who, you know, it's just a local kid working at his parents' appliance store uh, who plays the drums that they know from high school or growing up there. And so they enlist him to come in. And in the process, um, this song, that thing you do that they had written as a ballad, he turns into basically an up-tempo rock hit, right? And mm-hmm. because of that, everything from there spirals out of control in a good way. And they become, you know, they go from literal nobodies to suddenly they're on TV, you know, they're in a major motion picture, all these things that happens very quickly in like two months. And so it's this whirlwind of crazy. And ultimately it, I think one of the things that grabbed me about the movie very early on is being a guy who, especially when I was 20 was playing, I was a drummer in a band, you know, I was like, playing in a bunch of bands since I was like 13. Uh, it, it, it struck me at that where it's just like, it really does sort of, um, effectively show the joy of like writing music and performing it. Um, and one of the things I really like about the movie is that every time they play the song, the even the sound engineering on the particular performance changes each time Mm. and this is this is what comes from watching it every year for 20 years (laughs) is you start noticing these things is that you know the first time they play it just the way everything sounds sounds like you it would being in like a gymnasium where they're playing it right just at a thing that's not as it's not as tight it's not as professional now every time they go then it goes to them playing it at a bar and it's the the sound quality sounds more like a bar they're still not perfect on the song but it's you know they're almost there and then they record it so you get the sound of the way they they record it in a big church right and then it goes from there every time you hear it it gets bigger and bigger each time uh until they finally play it at a big you know um state fair and all these things and it gets bigger and bigger each time and it's just like it's the subtle things like that where it's like every time you hear it it's a little bit different uh it's still the same song but it gets larger suddenly Mm -hmm. there's screaming crowds you know it's like it just uh it's it 
it's a little thing that I, I really like about the movie is just the, the, the detail in stuff like that, where it's like, they're not just playing the record every time the same, they had to record it different ways, eight yeah. different ways or whatever to give you a different feel for it. Even when they're on TV, it's like when they're on TV, it's perfect. Yeah. And you know, and this is a, this is a bit of a spoiler, but at, you know, toward the end, uh, at, you know, they're, their band starts to fall apart because they're a one hit wonder, right? It just, everything came together too fast and they all start to fall apart. Their bass player who has no name, which is beautiful. Uh, he's just <laughs> but played player. by Ethan Embry, who yes. I really uh, appreciate because right? yeah, he had this really sweet quality to him yep. uh, in a lot of the roles that he played sort of goofy, a little, a little dumb, kind of like a goofier. Um, what's that guy's name? Oh man. Why do I do that? The guy from like Empire <laughs> Records and the Scooby Doo movie, Ma- Lillard, Matthew Lillard. He's kind of yep. like a Matthew Lillard, but like a little goofier and um, a little He's less a, known. Yeah, and the bass, the ba- as the bass player, literally that's his name. Uh, he has no <laughs> name. Um, you know, he plays it. It's it's kind of innocent, right? Yeah. Uh, and he's just kind of having a good time, and he's just goofy, and you know, he's always smiley and just, you know, just having fun. Well, so by the time they get to that last performance on the TV show, um, he's he's disappeared on them because he was going to be joining the Marines and he ends up seeing some Marines in a restaurant and it, it gets he, he ends up not showing up to their big TV showcase. Right. And so they get a professional bass player, just a studio guy in to play play with them so that they can do the show and even then the bass part on the song is a little more like uh intricate and mm. much more dead on i mean it's just like little things like that and that's that was the the part of me as as being a guy who used to be a musician is like you notice i notice little things like that where everything is just they really the detail of it and the detail yeah. of of the fact that it's a period piece, everything about it to me always feels authentic and just right. Yeah, the the they portray the 1960s not in sort of a cartoonish way, where you're like, oh, okay, well they tried to include, you know, certain hallmarks of that era, but doesn't really right. evoke that era. I think they keep it. I mean, it it feels almost modern while you're watching it, but there's key things that make it the sixties and it, it feels a little bit more honest than some movies that try a little too hard to go period. Um, right. So I agree with that. Um, for me, like re- revisiting this, I kind of already touched on one of the people I, I love Ethan Embry because of can't hardly wait, <laughs> which is a movie <laughs> I really enjoy, but I really like the cast. Um, you know, obviously Tom Hanks, this is the third Tom Hanks movie. I believe that we're talking about. We did big and the burbs, and now we're talking about this film. Uh, Liv Tyler, uh, who is awesome in this movie. I really like the way she plays, you know, uh, Jimmy's girlfriend. And she has her own arc that she goes through. A really young Charlize Theron. I was oh, yeah. shocked I when I saw like her. One of, one of her first big speaking roles. Yeah, my gosh. Um, I was like, whoa. Yeah, she has such a small part that I... I yeah. It, she, it had to be early on in her career for her not to say anything. I, I think it's I think it's one of her first speaking roles, honestly. And wow. it's it's a tiny role. I mean, she's 
she's a supporting character that leaves the movie after the first like 20 minutes or something. Yeah, you can tell right away. You're like, oh, this is the girlfriend that doesn't want to be here, so right. she won't be around. And then I wanted to mention Steve Zahn because I happen to be watching a, a show with him in it randomly. Uh, well, it's it's big right now, but on HBO Max, it's uh, called White Lotus, and it's about a bunch of people staying at a resort in Hawaii. Go watch it if you're interested in drama, and it's funny, too. And anyway, I like this guy. He pops up every now and again in stuff that I like, and he's a face that I hadn't seen in a while. So I was enjoying that, and then I watched this movie, and I'm like, there he is again. That's interesting when that happens. Well, and, and uh, I absolutely uh, – Steve's on uh, – uh, we we love him around here. Let's just say he's actually from Minnesota, where I live. Oh, uh, I didn't know that. I remember him looked, the most from Joyride. That's what. Yeah, he, like not he, a super great movie, but I just remember watching that a lot when it came out for some reason. Well, one of my favorite things is too is one of the things in this movie and that thing you do. You know, they end up on after they finally get picked up and signed by um, Playtone Records, which is what. Um, you know, Playtone Entertainment or whatever is what Tom Hanks ended up actually naming his production company. Oh, really? The record oh. company in this. Um, it's like uh, Playtone movie, you know, inter- I, I don't know if it's Playtone Entertainment, but it's Playtone, right? Which was based on huh. this movie. Um, and of course, um, one of the things that's cool about it, um, about the whole Playtone thing and Tom Hanks in particular, before I talk about Steve Zahn, is that. Tom Hanks, his character is like a record exec and he's not the nicest guy. And it's kind of nice because he's not necessarily playing like, you know, the nice guy he's, he's playing kind of a, he's kind of a, a dick. <laughs> he's, oh my you know, gosh. Also real quick. I have to say also we covered a league of their own. Duh. No, not, but what's I'm weird not. is we covered a league of their own. Um, and then, you know, or before that we covered the burbs then that, and now this in a relatively short amount of time. So everyone keeps picking Tom Hanks films. I'm not complaining, but it's just an no, observation. Um, anyway. You know, <laughs> so, yeah. So Tom Hanks, character is not the most likable. He's just right. kind of a, he's a schmoozy record exec. You know, he, he's thinking about the bottom line of the record company. He doesn't mm-hmm. care so much about, you know, the artistic, you know, uh, uh, mind of, of Jimmy, the singer, who's, you know, a jerk, but he's the talent, right? He's yeah, the guy who writes the song. Yeah, he goes on to do better, apparently, the, after they break he, up. Right, right, and he's the tortured artist, and he, he only really cares about the, the music, right? And that's the thing, is everything <laughs> about this movie is every character kind of plays a different, you know, archetype of, of you know, the way, I guess, probably people generally react to fame. You know, you got the one guy who's right. kind of level-headed and just is like, this is really cool. You got the one sort of starry eyed guy who's like, I don't know why I'm here, but this is awesome. And then you got the other guy who just doesn't care. He just is enjoying it. Um, and isn't really thinking you have the other guy who's just like, I don't give a shit about any of this stuff. All I care about is, you know, my art, you know, and it's like all these archetypes, right? Yeah. But, uh, Steve's on in particular because he's from here. One of the things that I always found uh, just to go back was really fast is there's a part where they're playing the state fairs after they get picked up by Playtone records and they're doing just an interview on the local station. Right. And the, the guy asks the, the Jimmy guy about 
this the, what they're doing there and and he starts talking about the song and you know all the the music and he cuts him off like he just doesn't care right and then he <laughs> talks to steve zahn's character and he goes into like the full-on minnesotan accent which always makes me laugh and he's like oh i'm not with these fellows over here you know and it's like perfect <laughs> it's like there it is that's 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 his his accent from growing up around here yeah but steve zahn is is i think the thing about uh, a lot of the actors, I think in particular, that are in that thing you do beyond sort of the mega stars like Shir- Shirley's Theron and uh, Tom Hanks is everyone in the movie is solid and to a certain extent underrated. Agreed. Agreed. Very much so. And one of the things that I like about the message in this film, too, is looking at the rise and fall of a one hit wonder in a non negative way. Yeah. Like how you know how this experience shapes everyone going forward and you don't at the end they're not like oh and they all died in a plane crash or you know they they did drugs and they died or whatever like a lot of times when you watch something about a band first of all a lot of biopics about a band of course it's a fictional band but a lot of them are negative um, how fame destroys you, you know, right. things like that. But I like this because it was sort of like a life lesson for every character in the film. Yeah. And they go on to realize their dreams through this real crazy experience. But the experience is a positive one. You know, they get right. famous a little too quick, like you said, but they walk away having grown and learned a lot. And right. I love that. Like, I don't, I don't, I can't really think of a, another music movie that's like this i'm sure someone will prove me wrong <laughs> seen more music <laughs> movies than me but i just found that very very charming to look at that situation in a positive way instead of mm-hmm. a negative one well and i there's there's sort of a um an old-fashioned magic to the movie yeah is that uh it it's like you said there are a lot of in a lot of ways it feels very modern right um and it, and it, but it is also a period piece. But at the same time, there's something old-fashioned and almost corny about the movie in like the <laughs> best way possible, right? Well, um, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, they're sort of drawing on bands from that era that mm-hmm. made corny movies, you know, yeah. <laughs> and did yeah, corny and things like yeah, and it, Americana stuff. Right. It's wholesome. It's there's a lot of innocence in the whole thing, and and obviously that plays really well with just like these four kids who just end up in this place where suddenly they're, they're big and they have a hit record and they're everywhere. And people are, you know, it's, 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 um, it's, it's awesome to me to watch, um, the sort of rise of the whole thing of them going from literally playing in a garage to playing in a, in a gym to suddenly they hear themselves on the radio. And that's one of the greatest scenes in the whole movie. First see that first hear themselves on the radio and they all freak out. Right. And it's just, it's joyful. And there's, there's, there's a lot of joy running through the movie. Even, I mean, there's some, some downtimes and negative parts to it, but of course that's just the arc of the story, but all in all, it's, it's, it's much more just, it's positive in a in so many ways. It's, it's joyful from beginning to end. Uh, and you see the joy in the creation of the music. You see the joy in the recording of it, in the, the playing of it, of the the fame coming in, they they get to, you know, be a band in a in a bad beach party movie, which that's one of my favorite damn things because I've seen, I've seen all the bad AIP, you know, um, uh, Frankie and Annette um, beach party movies, right? 
Yeah, and they yeah. Did a, they did a perfect sort of facsimile of it in this movie where the band ends up being the fake band in one of those style, you know, cheesy movies of that era. Um, and it's just, it's throughout it. You just, you feel the sort of like the fun everyone's having and the, there's everything is fresh and new and exciting. And, and other than the, you know, the Jimmy guy, who's just kind of a sour person, right? Because well, they're not playing like, the song the way make, he wants it to be. Right. Played. And he wants to make more music, which that's fine. You know, it's like, even through that, it's not like he's just a jerk just to be a jerk. Although he does have some jerky moments to him. It's like, he just wants to make music, you know, he's an artist and he wants to create and that's to him. All that matters. Yeah. The theme is extraneous to him. If he's not able to make make his art. And one of the greatest things, and this is the hugest spoiler. So I hope people actually watch this for listening to this (laughs) is in the end, when you find out what happens to each of them is that he grew up to not only release more music, with the record label, even after he was fighting with them the whole time, but he also then eventually becomes a record company executive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it sounds about right. Right. You know, to fight the system, the hardest sometimes end up becoming the system. <laughs> sure. Sure. That makes sense. And, and also I, I feel like it's, it's positive because they're all young. They have a flash in the pan moment. It goes away but I like that that's not the end of their story, you know, and it's kind of right. a good life lesson. Like you may get a, lo- a lot of attention over something and a lot of praise and then that can go away after that. And that can yeah, be kind of crushing. But, you know, they mature and realize later on in their lives that that wasn't the end. That was just one highlight of a whole life. And so I, I, I just again, I keep mentioning it, but I just really like the way their stories kind of wrapped up that you're kind of talking about there. Well, and I think that's. That's one of the cool things about it, too, is like you see um, a lot of music biopics, right, uh, is that it always sort of hits so so much on sort of the big moments, right, of like, ah, here's the rise and then the fall, right? And in this, it just happens so quickly. It's like, no, this wasn't the end-all, be-all of who these people are. Uh, yeah. And like you said, you, you see that, no, 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 this was just part of their life. And this is the the everyone's. It's like you may be someone who strives to be an Olympian, but once you go to the Olympics and you win gold, what now? You know, that's not the end. There's still other stuff to do. And uh, this movie does a really good job with these characters of just, like you said, it's like, okay, yeah, they did this, this thing and it was this whirlwind of crazy awesomeness. And then at the end of it, they still had lives. They still had other things and they accomplish other things. And, and, and I don't know, it's just, it's, Everything about it, I just there, I find no real flaws in any of it. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I had so much fun rewatching it, and and like you said, there's a lot of joy in the movie, a lot of highlights, and um, and even when there's disappointments, they're kind of short lived. You know, they they work through them and they move on. You know, you don't and and somewhat realistic too. Yeah. I mean, it's not. It's uh, and and you don't get into like you know someone becomes a heroin addict or anything like that, which is kind of <laughs> to just yeah. be like, well, how about they just the guy you know really wanted to join the military, so he left the band early. You know, it's like stuff like right. that. 
I think sometimes there's this temptation as a society for us to comfort ourselves with the thoughts that people that are really rich and famous are all miserable, but I don't think that's realistic. (laughs) I think it's just like, oh, well, that's the price they have to pay. Yeah, there's some famous people that are, I'm sure, relatively normal and well-adjusted, and as much as that may disappoint you. (laughs) Right, exactly. They don't have to pay for it. So I I do like, I agree with you, I like seeing that because it, it just seems more more believable to me. <laughs> and, and I feel like the, the actors, one thought I had watching it was that I don't know what age it is that we reach where we realize this, but I think as we get older, we start to realize that um, people that, that become famous and really successful are not always necessarily the very, 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 very best at what they do, but right. they do sell a dream of what we wish we had. You know, the reason why all the rock stars and all the pop stars stay in their 20s and beautiful and they're so excited to be there and they're like, oh, my God, now I won a Grammy, you know, is because it's like they're sort of playing out a fantasy we want to. So they're sort of they're carrying their fame and then our like dreams of it on top of that. Is that too weird to say? I mean, whenever I see like a new rock band or like a new pop star, I think that I think what's appealing about them is not just their talent, but also that they're so young and that they're so famous all of a sudden, you know, and I think that's what happens to one hit wonders too. Um, The difference being that they don't necessarily like in this case, all stay a band because I don't know how organic, you know, it was that they got together. Like you said, there was some happenstance and they don't all necessarily get along, but you know, the, the artists that really stick around are able to go through that. But it's like 50% of what people are attracted to is just the fact that they're so young, you know, <laughs> it's right. like, that's well, a big on top, part of it. On top of all that too, I think that, um, this is being just kind of a weird little microcosm of how things are is that, yeah. you know, um, fame is fleeting, you know, uh, sure. uh, uh, what's big today is not going to be what's big tomorrow. I mean, right. um, there are bands like the Beatles that have sort of universal longevity, right? But how many other bands are like the Beatles? And how long you know? were the Beatles the Beatles? Not that long, right. actually. Well, that's what I mean. Is, yeah, they <laughs> yeah. weren't together that long. But yes, their music has stand the, stood the test of time. But take, uh, you know, go back 20 years, you know, who was the biggest it person at that time? You know, and where yeah. are they now? Go back. Right. Uh, you know, it's like um, you have these these I don't know musicians or or filmmakers or whatever that they you know they reach a, this sort of like pinnacle, right? They're just mm-hmm. like they're the it person. They're around everywhere you go, and then five ten years later, where do they end up? Where maybe, are they? Maybe this was part of Tom Hanks being like, look. I'm really famous right now as an actor, but if that starts to fade, I have other avenues that I could continue creating and doing well. Now, of course, he stayed Tom Hanks forever because he's Tom Hanks, but maybe he was thinking about stuff like that. Compared to other actors, right? Even the actors in this movie, it's like, have any of them really had, you know, a a moment in the sun where they were the it person, you know? I mean, Charlize uh, Theron, I guess that's it. (laughs) Ironically, Nobody is ever at the top forever. Um, right. You know, right. I remember in the 90s, Liv Tyler was everywhere. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, that's true. And it's like, 
where the hell has she been for the last 20 years? <laughs> you see her you every know? now and then. I feel like right. I saw something with her recently, but but you're right. She's not who she was then. And, right. and, and that's such a good point that like, okay, this movie's kind of like, maybe you're not going to stay at the top forever. And maybe that's okay. Maybe you'll do something else after that. And maybe even that will have more meaning. Like her character in the movie, you know, she kind of starts out as just the supportive girlfriend, but right. her relationship with, um, guy evolves and change. And we find out later they run a business together. So right. she had, and I thought that watching the movie too, I felt like she had business smarts and she was so invested and so passionate. I, I thought like, it's kind of unfortunate. She's just that guy's girlfriend. Like yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm happy she's getting excited, but it's like, she's taking so much ownership of something she doesn't actually get to have. But then at the end of the credits, we find out that eventually she does. So it's like, right. Yeah, but anyway, that was rambly. But my point is <laughs> that, you know, uh, it's not the end. Like you said, it's it's maybe it's just the beginning. And maybe the fame part isn't the most interesting part of it. Well, and I, and I think that's the trajectory of kind of everything to a certain extent is that there's nothing is always it's not always just up, right? Yeah. There, there's no matter what happens, there will be a down unless you're like uh, someone who dies in their prime. Right. right? Like a buddy um, Molly or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, but generally, if if you live long enough, eventually you go over the hump and you start going back down. I mean, that's well, just life, right? Uh, yeah. And that's, uh, again, uh, the sort of microcosm of the one hit wonder phenomenon, too, is like your rise for as your meteoric rise, you, you got to eventually come back down. Well, I think there was a, there's someone that, Tom Hanks interacts with, I think it's uh, Del Paxton. Is that right? Oh, he, uh, he, played by Bill Hobbs. Yeah, yeah, he's fantastic. And, yeah. and he has some extremely good advice for him where he says, you know, bands come and go. You have to just keep right. creating. Um, they're not always going to stick together. You just have to keep finding people that are passionate like you right. and want to keep doing this. And then he later goes on to hire him because he sees in him that you know, he is passionate, that he cares about the music and that he's actually good. Um, but I thought that piece of advice where he was like, stop focusing so much on this band being together forever. Right. Um, is kind of like a meta way of saying, like, stop focusing so much on your moment right now because it's going to it's going to change. So, right. you know, that's OK. You have to change with it. And I don't know. I just thought that was a good part of the movie, too. Well, and he even said that the whole thing, it's because, you know, that's one of the undercurrents of the movie. If anyone is, you know, is that uh, guy, the drummer that they pick up is actually really into jazz. And he likes this fictional jazz character named Del Paxson, who ev he eventually meets in a bar uh, when he's out. In Hollywood. <laughs> and kind of makes a fool of himself when he's drunk, but right, has a lasting but, impression on him. Right. And, and the Del Paxson, you know, says, you know, eventually something makes you crazy. You know, and that's true. It's like eventually, no matter how much you love something, uh, making movies, you know, making music, whatever, some, eventually something's going to make you crazy. You know, yeah. it's going to drive you nuts. It's never always going to be the same. It just it can't. Yeah. That's life is that things evolve and change over time and there's nothing you can do to fight it. You can just keep trying to do your best and, you know, keep going. And if you're still interested, keep doing it. If not, it's OK to walk away. <laughs> You yeah. know, it's just, you know, and then, you know, what's the, the, one of the best things he says is like, you know, look out for your money. 
Right. <laughs> yeah. That is a very good good thing. The other thing too, uh, I want to say, uh, I think one of the things that really, really grabbed me uh, when I first saw it, um, going all the way back to the beginning of our conversation, uh, was I mentioned at the time I was in a band, right? Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things the movie does really well from a perspective of a person who was a drummer in a band is um, give you that sort of um, feel of what it what it's like to be in a in a group and the group dynamics that come into it with the different personalities of all yeah. the members. Um, where, you know, like uh, the one guy's just kind of, he's doing his thing and other guy's like, oh my God, this is great. And then the other guy was just like, oh, I don't like care about writing songs. And it's just like all the dynamics that come in when you have a group of people working together toward a project, it's the group project mentality, you know? Yeah. Um, it did a great job of, of dramatizing it, but making it fun. Yeah. In the I same way that. See that. In the same way that I felt when I was in bands making music with other guys. Ah, I like that. Yeah, I, I I can definitely see that having not been in a band myself, but everyone's, like you said, worked on a group project, right? Yeah. <laughs> Where you have to negotiate with different personalities. I also think yeah. it's interesting that it is from the perspective of a drummer and i don't think we see that very often in film you know no. usually it's the either the guitar player or the lead singer right um so so that i thought that was interesting too and that he's sort of like the core and the heart um that's sort of propelling them forward but it's just not enough to keep them all together because right, exactly. different. Yeah. well and it's, it was just so like um like you said just happenstance that guy even ends up in the band and then the fact that they get big is is only because he happened to be in the band and then play it wrong at their talent show you know and 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 it's all these things that just kind of happen and i think that's i think that's usually more realistic than not is that you know a person can work forever at doing the same thing and they can be a master of their craft but that doesn't necessarily mean they're ever going to become big at it or even yeah make a at it sometimes it's just right a lot of times it's just right place right time knowing the right people or running into the right person at the right moment you know and 100%. so especially you know yeah, jimmy I, really feels that in the movie because he's 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 the talent he's a talented one yeah. and yet it's this drummer that comes in with this idea that propels them forward so it's like it, it makes him feel less than because all his talent is sort of like not being appreciated essentially. Right. But you're right. I, I remember my dad said this when I was a kid and I never forgot it. He said, you know, you think that everyone you see on TV, you're like, oh, that is so amazing. They're so special and different because they're up there and they're famous. And he's like, you could go to a bar down the street and listen to someone that's really good at singing or really good at guitar. Like mm-hmm. talented people are everywhere. They're just not all famous, but right. they're everywhere. And I right. kind of never forgot that. And I, I agree. Um, and that's not to diminish the talent of people that are famous because no, obviously not. they are talented or they wouldn't be there. Uh, but at the same time, there's a lot of well, people who never that's get debatable. To <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. But um, <laughs> but again, that that yeah. demonstrates the same point of just like sometimes it's just you got lucky. Yeah, exactly. And luck plays a large role in the level of fame certain people experience. Yeah, I mean, you could 100%. have the most talented guitar player in the world who just never plays outside of some couple bars in a 
Cincinnati or something, you know, yeah, because they yeah. just never discovered, quote unquote, by the right people and, yeah. you know, end up getting that sort of big moment. Or not everyone that's that talented is wanting to pursue it as a career either, you know. Exactly. Some people just, yeah. it, it's their happy place, but the, you know, it's like as soon as, as soon as you turn something you love into work, uh, there's that old saying about, you know, do what you love and you never work a day in your life. It's crap. Uh, that is a lie because <laughs> once you turn something you love into work, it's work. And yeah. as soon as you have pressures of having to like pay your bills with it, it changes it. No matter how much you love something, it's still work. Yeah. And 100%. you're still going to have to that. look at it in a different way. We, we live in a culture right now that wants to turn every hustle into, you know, everything into a hustle, everything into the grind. And right. you're probably better off. Um, that's fine if that's your dream, but it's also okay to just enjoy your passions as well. <laughs> yeah. And realize that once you do turn your hustle into uh, a work, you know, your job, it's different. It's, it's immediately different. And I, I, I know that firsthand because I've turned making movies into a job, right? It originally started as just a hobby and now it's what I do, but it changes the way I look at it. It changes the way I have to approach some of these things. And, and, um, to a certain extent, it becomes like a great motivator where it's just like, I could easily get lazy and stop making movies, but I kind of can't, which is kind of good because then it also kicks me in the butt to keep doing it because I do love it. <laughs> but there are some times where I'm like, ah, I don't really feel like doing this. Yeah. Um, but then I got to wonder, you know, is that just me being burnt out? Is it me just being sick of it? And I know a lot of times it comes up to when it starts, because it's that feeling of, well, it's my job. I have to. You take right. that out of it, of the I want to, where it's just like, no, I have to it starts to grind a little. I mean, yes, I'll admit as a guy who does what he loves for a job. Yes. Uh, I would much rather do this than anything else, but it's still work. And it's still, there are days where I absolutely hate it <laughs> because <laughs> I have to do it. And I don't necessarily want to, but I know I have to. And that's, that's like any job, you know, yeah, it's like, absolutely. you have to do it. You just don't want it, but you gotta. <laughs> yeah. I completely I know, understand that. I know you and I could talk forever, so I want to make sure I get in <laughs> one more point okay, before we it. have to wrap it up. Awesome. One of the reasons I absolutely love that thing you do is the time, like the setting. The yeah, the sixties. The, the I'm again I'm a I'm a you know filmmaker who makes cheesy monster movies that would easily fit into the late fifties, early sixties. Okay. I love that era. I love, you know, drive-ins. I love everything about just the aesthetic of it all. And part of it is just the sort of innocence of the era because it was really the beginnings of going from, you know, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, the, it's the dawn of tech, the technological age, right? It's the, the space age, pre you know, computer age, pre-internet age, where it's just like everything seemed kind of possible. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and there is this still an innocence behind a lot of things that still you can still see in the movies of that era. Like, for instance, I recently watched a movie uh, called High School Hellcats, which is from the late 50s. And it's one of those American International pictures that <laughs> follows like uh, 
a bunch of bad girls in high school. <laughs> right? And their version of what makes a bad girl is laughable by modern standards. Right. <laughs> and and so you watch that and there's just such a wide eyed innocence to it all. Uh, because like the girls drink gin, you know, it's like, oh, my God, um, you <laughs> know, the cops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, oh, my God, um, it's too much. And so one of the things about this, about that thing you do that I love so much is it captures that feeling so well. And it's an era that I really, really like. And so there are, there are certain movies that that capture that era, like like Ed Wood. I really love Ed Wood. You know, we yeah. talked about um, it's that sort of late 50s, early 60s um, movies, music, everything about that, that 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 thing you do captures so perfectly. And everything just feels authentic to that era from, you know, guy works in his parents' appliance store and everything in there is like really nice vintage appliances and stuff, you know? Yeah. Uh, even the the main street that the appliance store is on is just it it's perfect everything about mm-hmm. it everything even the the instruments they play and that was another thing that i read which was that you know when they start the instruments they're playing are all like cheap thrift store type instruments right uh they're they're the stuff you could order out of catalogs uh that sort of normal people could afford you know it would be the kind of stuff that you go drop a little money down at the Sears to get a guitar, you know, because you wanted to learn how to play it. And then as they progress, their instruments get more expensive Yeah. as they, as they are suddenly provided by the, the record label, you know, you start seeing just like a slow progression of the stuff they wear and the, the, you know, going from just clothes they own to like nice suits and all this stuff. And it's just, Again, it's that level of detail that I love about setting setting that that moment in time that the, the the movie takes place. And Tom Hanks, I have to imagine, is just like that's his childhood right up there, right? That's the stuff right. he grew up. Um, or at least the sort of you know when he was a kid, the the kind of things that that he saw around him, and and it just comes through so beautifully in that movie that it just really works. Yeah. Completely agree. Well, I guess I'll ask you the last couple of questions then. Sure. Uh, what another hour or two when it comes to you and I? <laughs> what the uh, longest huh? winded? We always oh, have the not at all. Wind. What? No way. I'm not trying to cut you off at all. You just mentioned that was the last thing you were going to talk about. So no, I'm I just I want to make sure I got that in there before I forgot. Oh, for sure. I have my uh, mental list of things I wanted to talk about. No, I'm I'm glad you did. Um, so this brings me to my last couple of questions. Uh, number one, uh, if you could summarize everything we've talked about today, why do you think you keep coming back to this movie? Like, what's the main reason you've seen it so many times? I mean, obviously beyond the fact that it is sort of my wife and my movie, right? Beyond that is just that, um, I just, I, I never get sick of it. It's, it's, it's pure, it's pure cinematic comfort food, Right. It's like, you know, why do, why do you always eat a, you know, have a ham on Easter or whatever, you know, it's like, why do you do these things? It's like tradition to to a point where it's, I know it backwards and forwards. So it's like, I know that when I watch this film, not only do I know what's going to happen fine, but 
I always find little things every time I watch it because I'm at that point now where it's like the minute details are the only things that surprise me anymore where it's like, I never noticed that before upon my 400th viewing. Um, but it's just, it's just the comfort of it. It's the, again, it's a positive film. Um, it's entertaining from beginning to end. There are no real slow points. Um, and the damn song is still catchy. I mean, it really is its own kind of one hit wonder where it's like, I mean, you, you can hear a a song that you've heard a thousand times on the radio and you know, it's, it's something, you know, and love. It's just, it's fine. You, you, you'll sing along because it's like, well, it's just, it's, you know, uh, audio comfort food. This is, he is, is cinematic comfort food. I think that's a really good way to put it. Um, you know, I keep saying it on the podcast, but you know, it's been a, a tough time recently. And every time someone picks like a, a cheer me up kind of movie, I appreciate it. And I found this movie to be, you know, just comforting, like you said, and, uh, and hopeful. Um, yeah. And hopeful. Exactly. And, and again, I just love the message. I can't, it, it's kind of like the message in soul, you know, that came out, uh, this year, yeah. um, that, you know, it was basically like sometimes just enjoying that thing you love is enough. And yeah. I, I think that's such a powerful message. And also to, to go on and teach, uh, you know, uh, the main character in the movie ends up teaching jazz yeah. and that's not something that, you know, people used to say, if you can't, if you can't do it, you teach. But, you know, again, it's so disrespectful to teachers, first of all. And they're so essential. The biggest thing they give up is just the the credit. But they did the work, you know. And so yeah. I, I, I always appreciate movies that highlight how important that is. Um, well, and honestly, as a filmmaker myself who makes the kind of cheesy niche underground films that I do, I mean, early on uh, – I sort of, I, I, I identify with this to a certain extent because early on it was like, I'm making a movie, so I'm going to go be in Hollywood in a year, right? Right. I'm going to be tapped to, to direct the next Marvel movie. Right. Right. But over time, continuing to do this, I realized that I don't care if I get famous and you know what? I seriously doubt I ever will be. I just, I pretty much know I probably won't be. Uh, and I'm actually okay with that because, uh, it made me over the last 15 years of doing that, of, of making movies and continue to do so is that I realized that my own definition of success was not exactly what you think everyone sort of thinks of, right. Is like, well, you're not a successful filmmaker unless you, you know, make a big budget movie that wins an Oscar or whatever. And it's like, no, that's not true. Uh, any one particular person's definition of success is going to change, uh, depending on who you are. And I realized that to me, the ability to continue to make films was it's my definition of success. I want to be able to continue to do it. And that's the thing about sort of this movie, too, is like it's that it's about the definition of success. What is success? Yeah, 100 percent. You know, I I had a friend that used to say uh, I'm sure they probably have changed their stance on this now, but they were like, you know, you know what happens to most people? You just give up and you and you work on someone else's dream. Like if you if you take a, a lesser role than being the the main person in charge, you're working on someone else's dream, or you know you phone it in and you just get a real job and blah blah blah. You know they would went on and on about it, and I was like, I have such a different view of that. You know, yeah. Um, 
like lately it's been really popular to to crap on people that do a nine to five job you know being able to find a job that's nine to five that has great benefits and pays you well is a huge privilege um that a lot of us that is our definition of success you know um and i have always felt that the kinds of jobs that i've picked or the kinds of jobs that i end up in again i feel lucky very lucky but they enable me to do the things that I really feel passionate about, you know, and to me, that's my level of success. You know, uh, I enjoy doing the show. I, I could do more, I feel like to advertise and get it to be bigger, but uh-huh. I want to do the show as long as I enjoy it. Yeah. I and mean, right now for me, that means it being a, a side gig, you know? And so I don't necessarily compel my, compare myself to others, um, their ratings and stuff. I celebrate my wins, but I, to me, being able to, to have the show every week and all the people that I've met through it, all the lasting real friendships I've made through it and the ability to talk about film every week, that to me, that's success, you know? So yeah, I, I think I'm always drawn to stuff like this because of that, because I do have that perspective on, on, on life. And it's most people's stories too, by the way, like most people are not, super famous and rich right so um well you gotta ask if you're gonna be an artist if you're gonna create things you gotta ask yourself well what why do i do it yeah what is the point why do i do it is it because it's like someone who says well if you're living someone else's dream well what is your dream is your dream the fame it's like is is that what you're going for is, is that you just want to be famous and and adored and and you know uh, treated like a rock star if that's your goal then fine you got to build that you got to get to that but yeah if you're someone who just likes to act or um write songs or whatever is that is that enough is that yeah. is that what you really want to do for me i just want to keep making movies that's it um, and so again, it becomes like my definition of success. If, if that's my, def- if, if that's what I define as success, then I, I consider myself rather successful. Have yeah. I made a million dollars? No, <laughs> I have not. <laughs> but I don't, I Me don't neither. care. I've, I'll let you know when that happens though. Yeah. I've made <laughs> now 17 films and to me, that's fine. That's, yeah. that's what I want. I wanted to be able to make movies. And so I feel I feel rather successful. And that's, again, that's the whole Del Paxton talking to the guy is like, you know, uh, you just got to keep going. If that's what you want, you just got to keep trying. You know, one band is not the end of it. You know, Uh, bands come and go, just, you know, figure it, figure out what works for you. Mm -hmm. And, and so how would you pitch this movie to someone that hasn't seen it before? Uh, I would probably just say, you know, if you're looking for just a feel good period piece, that's got catchy tunes and just, and Tom you know, Hanks, <laughs> and Tom Hanks, this is, this is it. Is it absolutely perfect to me? It kind of is. Uh, it's just, it's <laughs> a like, great song. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it's a great song, a great film. Everything about it is just, if you want to just like enjoy a sort of a simple, straightforward story that's told in a very old fashioned way, but not in an obnoxiously old fashioned way. This is it. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, I don't know. Again, it's cinematic comfort food to me. It's like, it's, it's, it's perfect. uh, As far as I'm concerned, even the flaws are perfect because it's part of the overall, you know, uh, meal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I would say, you know, this is a, a popular film. It's not the most popular music film, but it's a real feel-good film that, um, you know, is enjoyable and has Tom Hanks. I think that's, <laughs> that's exactly. all I got. Um, well, Christopher, thank you so much again for taking time out of your day to, to be on the show. I always appreciate having you on, always appreciate our discussions. Uh, where can where can people find you? Sure. Um, well, you can always find me on all the social medias if you search for uh, uh, my last name, Mim, M-I-H-M. There aren't a lot of us out there. You're either going to find Chris Mim, the basketball player who hasn't played for the last like 10 plus years, or you'll find my movies uh, or just look for Christopher Mim or whatever. Otherwise, go to my website at sainteuphoria.com, all spelled out, S-A-I-N-T-E-U. E-U-P-H-O-R-I-A.com. Or if that's too hard, uh, if you go to the giantspider.com, you'll find me. I just got your shirt in the mail. I sent you a picture. Uh, yep. I bought one uh, of your shirts. Uh, that was my favorite design. I just loved seeing all the monsters. <laughs> well, and that was that was fun to do. Um, and and uh, actually, I mean, there are some things from like uh, my movie Cave Women on Mars. Nothing is is in it from that because it's, you know, it's a it's a a four by four grid right of of pictures of the monsters and i was like i don't have enough space because uh, if i added the the like monkey monster guy from cable on mars it would have been like like 17 uh mm-hmm. different pictures which would have been strange so i was like well i can leave that off because that was sort of a store-bought costume um <laughs> and i had another movie with like two monsters and i was like i'll just put those both in there because they're much cooler um but yeah i really <laughs> like that design and actually it's an update because eight years ago like I said, I'm movie. I'm working on movie 17 now, but um, I've released 16 of them. So it was like, well, I got 16 monsters. Eight years ago, I had released one that had the eight. So I just did an update of all the new ones. And oh, I like the okay. I like the design of it. I like the 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 sort of cartoony sort of uh, I don't know posterized kind of look to it. I feel that it provokes uh, questions. Because people yes, are going to be does. like, oh, where are those monsters from? You're like, what you can... is that? Exactly. Y- yeah, I really like that one. Uh, the You've Been Dinner Rolled, I thought was very funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I bought that without telling my my son is on that, right? He's just a picture of him holding <laughs> a dinner roll. It says You've Been Dinner Rolled. I bought that shirt and didn't tell him and then just put it on to see how long it would take before he's like, hey, wait a minute. That's me. That's cute. <laughs> I like that one. And um the Phantom Lake ones too. I need. I was gonna buy that, but then I saw the monster ones. You know, and I was like, okay, I'll buy I that recently, second. I recently made released a few shirts. I started just making sort of random ones. Uh, when I, when an idea for a shirt hits me, I'll do it. And so I'll have these like spurts where I put out suddenly three or four, four different shirts. Uh, and I did one which was a a travel like uh, touristy one for I that said I'd rather be in Phantom Lake County. Yeah, uh, and it. Just, shows like a picture of a lake with the monster in it coming out of it <laughs> the monster phantom lake coming out of phantom lake and um it was a play on some other shirt i saw for i don't remember where it was i'd rather be in like i think Maybe it was i'd rather be in like, like actually i think a, it, it was it said yeah. it was like i'd rather be in cape town south africa it was like this is an interesting design and i was like i should totally do one that would be for phantom lake county uh mm-hmm. and i thought of that design and Ever since I put that out, like I have sold, I don't know, like 40 of them in like a month. Like wow. it's the best selling shirt so, I've so ever you released. You design all the shirts too? Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. See, again, this is a unique ability you have to yeah. to also be the, the designer of all these things too. Like you're not, you know, hiring someone to design them. That's really cool. 
Well, did you get all your plugs in? I feel like I cut you off. Sorry. No, yeah. I think, uh, like I said, if people find me on social media, uh, if you look uh, just look up Christopher R. Mim or Christopher Mim, you'll probably find me. Uh, and then say com or, like I said, thegiantspider.com. Great. Well, thank you again for coming on. And obviously, I have to have you back soon. Sounds good. 